And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello everybody, welcome back to Until Saturday. This is our Sunday Sound Off edition. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by David Ubbin and the great Scott Docterman. It is kind of a little bit of a lull in the season because we're heading into bowls now and uh, there isn't a jam-packed Saturday to talk about, but I think we have a hell of a show tonight, guys. We're going to be laying out a 24-team playoff and what that would look like in this year's field and, of course, discussing the inevitability of that probably happening one day. The latest on Iowa's offensive coordinator search, P-Gate. That's right, (laughs) P-Gate. And we're going to get to your voicemails for Sunday Sound Off. Be sure to follow uh, the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts, and please help support the show by dropping a five-star review. Um, If you're watching live with us here now, we certainly appreciate you. It means you're probably subscribed to the Until Saturday YouTube feed. If you're not, be sure to do so. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can catch us live with with shorts and, um, you know, breaking news and all that stuff when we go onto the channel as well. Both the link to the podcast feed and the YouTube channel can be found in both shows descriptions. And leave us a voicemail for future Sunday Sound Off episodes, uh, 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. And also be sure to sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you get your daily fill of college football news delivered directly to your email inbox. All the links can be found in both shows' descriptions. And one other thing that I didn't say that we're going to be talking about, I think it's a big chunk of the show, is Syracuse, Fran Brown, Kyle McCord, and a new era of Syracuse football. So why don't we start there, guys? First of all, Scott, how are we doing today? Man, I'm doing great. It's perfect, you know. We got a we were in the holiday season, and uh, now we're just kind of in, in this uh, wild little period here. So, do you have any weird Christmas meals that you like, or like, what's your favorite <laughs> Christmas dish? You know what? I'm I'm going to stay away from cottage. That's only a Thanksgiving tradition here in Iowa. So, uh, but uh, I guess you know I like turkey. I like ham. I like just about everything else. But uh, no no cottage cheese for Christmas. Ferrari. Okay, so normal stuff. <laughs> Dave, how are we doing today? Pretty good. I was worried he was going to hit us with. Uh, I like a nice cold glass of turkey broth or something along those lines. I was worried. I was waiting for it. but uh, I mean, I'm you've taught good. me one lesson, Dave, uh, as the host of the show, is that if you have people on that have weird dietary things going on, the only way you can find out more is if you just blatantly ask. So, all, right, all my uh, food stuff is normal, though. This is the thing. I've, well, the I've defended well all of those things. You know what they and say about crazy people is that they don't know they're crazy. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's Some part say of they're the, just before their time uh, <laughs> yeah. innovators that aren't appreciated until they're long gone. And one day, Ari, one day, the people will understand. And yeah, there will be well, nuts in ovens across our great nation. I, I think that you will be long gone before I come around on some of the things that you do, but I'm happy <laughs> you're here for the meantime. Why don't we get directly into Syracuse? Syracuse hired Fran Brown recently. 
Um, in doing so, they flipped, uh, as of Sunday morning, three top 500 players uh, into their class from other surrounding programs while also landing a former five-star quarterback and Ohio State starting quarterback Kyle McCord in the portal. Um, can Fran Brown make Syracuse a dangerous program? Well, there's no one that's like, there's not a huge roadblock in the ACC, right? I mean, where Syracuse has been, if you can get to, to the point where you have enough talent to win seven to nine games annually, we'd have to look back at the history of the program, but that's probably significantly better than we have seen um, Syracuse at their best and sustaining that, right? That's always been the the most difficult part. Uh, you're in upstate New York, not exactly a college football hotbed, um, but there are some resources there. They do want to win, um, but you know this isn't the old Big East anymore. Um, it's a tougher league, but you look around the ACC, Clemson is good, but not a juggernaut. Florida State is trending in all the right directions. But beyond them, like, is there anyone that if Syracuse finished ahead of them in the ACC standings, you know, we'd feel like the world was tilting on its axis? Probably not. But at the end of the day, Ari, college football is a simple game. Acquire talent, develop talent, and have schemes that utilize that. And the hardest part is acquiring, and Syracuse is, is on the right road there. The thing I'll say about Syracuse, um, and I'm going to kick it over to Scott here in a second, but we did at The Athletic a few series a few years ago doing like just top five rankings of a certain topic. And one of those topics was top five programs with the most inherent challenges to building. You know, geographical, weather, access to talent, name recognition, all those things. And Syracuse made the top of that list. And when you go out and you hire somebody who has a background uh, in the Northeast, who has a background coaching in Georgia, who comes in and speaks about recruiting the way that people who get it speak about, it kind of gives you that tingling sensation of like, okay, well, they've got somebody who can connect to players, who knows how to recruit the right way, um, and actually gets it on a level that you know most big-time coaches get it. You, you, know, you get excited. I got excited. It makes you want to buy Syracuse stock. But – even after what he has done in recruiting in a very short amount of time, even after going out and getting Kyle McCord, the question has to be asked, is Syracuse a place that can overcome its geographical situation and be good, be a good program? I don't know. Scott, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I think Syracuse has a lot of challenges, no question. I mean, you look at uh, location, you know, how, how the proximity to good players and can they compete with Northeastern players, even into Pennsylvania, that's uh, questionable because the best ones go to Penn state or they go to Ohio state or a national uh, recruiting power. So are they going to be able to de develop those recruits from the Northeast and turn them into a quality team? And that's really Fran Brown's charge. If he can do that, then this team can be near the top of the ACC on a somewhat consistent basis. But I think that really comes down to, uh, you know, Kyle McCord, I think getting him, you know, could really jumpstart this program because it's been, you know, every now and then they've kind of getting up to the eight, nine win range under Dino Babers and then they've fallen off. And now I think under Frank Brown, getting an Ohio State quarterback that a lot of people saw it, I think really has an opportunity for to put them in the upper middle of the ACC. And then if he can show kind of his developmental prowess, 
I think they got a chance to to take the next step and and eventually propel themselves into being a contender in the ACC. And I think it's uh, Ari. Can we have a black coaches conversation here briefly? Can we sure, have this conversation? Go ahead. Yeah. Two things. One, <clears throat> I I respect that friend Brown is uh, is being about it. He's not talking about it. He's hired a lot of really young and up and coming black coaches that he believes in. And, you know, I think Elijah Robinson tops that list. I think Nick Williams is also on that list over from Colorado. But here's here's the thing that I think these these coaches are going to be out to prove, which I think every black coach, right or wrong, deals with, is when you hire black coaches, especially young black coaches, there's a lot of conversation. Of, oh, he can relate to these kids. He's a good recruiter. There's not a lot of conversation about their X's and O's ability or their developmental ability. It's all well, the kid, he just gets the kids and he can come in. Listen, this is going to be a coaching staff that is very black. And if they can succeed and develop and have really good schemes, like it looks like they can have, you can dispel some of these notions. And this is how you do it because there's not going to be a lot of other coaches on that staff that people are looking around saying, well, who else is going to get the credit for this? Because a lot of times people look to give credit to other coaches and that's not what you're going to see at Syracuse. And I think it's an opportunity for a lot of those guys and I think for, I can tell you, a lot of black coaches around the sport are going to be looking at Syracuse and really rooting for them to uh, succeed because Fran Brown got an opportunity and he said, I'm going to give a lot of guys who deserve opportunities that don't get them. I'm giving those guys opportunities. I'm not just going to complain about the lack of opportunities, which is real. But when you get that chance, you know, give those opportunities out. And we're seeing Fran Brown do that. Well, the thing I think is interesting, too, as you as you go into that black coaches discussion is. You know, the building process at Syracuse, too, and another very prominent black coach who is doing it that way in Colorado. And I'm wondering if there's going to be any sort of parallel between the way that you build Syracuse and the way that you build Colorado for same for the same reasons. Right. Like not having proximity to talent, uh, being a, a coach that is probably going to be very good in the portal and, you know, building up that roster because, you know, the X's and O's and all that stuff certainly are going to play a major pa- factor of this. But no matter who the coach is at Syracuse, the number one, you know, problem there is getting good enough players. And like, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think it's going to be an interesting thing to, to dissect, but I want to know what the best plan for Syracuse would be to just get the players into the building, you know? And that to me is, um, you know, in the New Jersey area, I'm wondering if, if Rutgers is like, yeah, that's probably not the person that we want to go up against, especially now that they're getting some footing and seeing some development and, and program growth. Um, in their New Jersey, in their New Jersey recruiting, like, there's a lot there, so that's a lot to unpack too. Um, mm-hmm. Scott, are there any anything about Syracuse that I'm forgetting to mention here? No, I, I think you've pretty much hit it, you know, the nail on the head here. I think what you know again, you know, I I like the idea of you know what Fran Brown can bring, and I think you know there are you know a couple of the best coaches I know um, at Iowa, for instance, are African American. One in the developmental stage, and that's Kelvin Bell, their defensive line coach, and two in in the strategy straight uh, phase, and that's uh, Lavar Woods, you know, the special teams coordinator. So I hope that he succeeds because that will help everybody in in the sport, and that would be you know a real godsend to the Northeast. But you know where they're located is is, is a challenge. But I think Syracuse still dominates enough of Northern New York and that I think it has a chance to, to be successful in the long term if he can, you know, build some stability there. We have to have another conversation. That's not about Syracuse for 30 seconds before I hit some other pieces of news. 
What does it mean for Ryan Day and Ohio State that their quarterback entered the portal and ended up at Syracuse? A person that I know very well from my time back on the beat wrote an interesting story in the Columbus Dispatch. Congratulations, Bill Rabinowitz. Very good story. Kind of had some insight as to what happened there at the end of of Kyle McCord's tenure at Ohio State and and why this you know transfer situation happened. He mentioned a little bit about you know portal quarterbacks and how well they've done. Um, in the NIL era at Ohio mm-hmm. state and that he wasn't necessarily making as much. I can't imagine that Syracuse is going to be in a position to pay him any more than he was making at Ohio state. Even if it wasn't as much as CJ Stroud and, um, you know, Justin Fields and all those guys, uh, the, well, Justin Fields was pre NIL. You get what I'm saying? But the, the idea that their quarterback, even though he wasn't what Ohio state needed, didn't really land at a place that's prominent in the power five makes you wonder like did Ohio state overachieve this year with that quarterback or, you know, what, what, how how does your mind spend on that one? Well, I believe I've been hitting on this all season, Ari, because I watched Ohio state play and I said, Hey, this is a team that is not great at quarterback. I don't see it. Um, with these quarterbacks, especially five stars, you see some level of progression or you see flashes of it. And we didn't see that with Kyle McCord, right? He had one drive uh, against Notre Dame, but like, how many throws in that drive really impressed you? It kind of felt like it was sort of a well. There was one throw in that drive that was like a big time NFL throw. I think it was like a third and eighteen. I was like, holy crap! Yeah, but it's a lot of tightrope walking. Am I wrong? And and I think, especially with uh, the amount that they had around him, an okay offensive line, one of the best one-two punches, maybe one-two-three punches at running back we've seen in the sport. Well, I say we've seen in, in, the, in the sport this year. And then, you know, along with Washington, I mean, you had, what, two NFL receivers on your team, and you have another couple five stars. It, it, it wasn't good enough. Now, my question is, in the portal era, is this just where we're at? Or in the NIL era, that if you are a five star and you don't get it done, you know, I don't know that you could use the term processed here. I don't think it's quite that cut and dry. But, like, it's, it's sort of odd. Right. And I think that if if you know or you don't feel welcome, even if you come back and you feel like they're just going to recruit over you, you know, is it a one and done shot? Whereas in the non portal era where it's harder to turn your roster, harder to get a new quarterback in there, you're sort of left with, hey, we've got to invest everything we have into this guy um, because I don't think it's going to be the Devin Brown show. I think, I mean, Ari, is Ohio State's starting quarterback in 2024 currently on its roster? I mean, it kind of seems like it right now. I mean, I don't know which players are still yet to go into the portal. That would be an option here. I thought there would be a chance, just completely speculation-wise, but I thought maybe they might make a run at Malik Murphy, and that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, Who else is even left at this point? They're out of the picture, it looks like, with Cam Ward. I mean, who are you waiting for? You never know. And we'll see how it goes, but it's just kind of an interesting dynamic here. And and also, too, um, if a quarterback doesn't feel like they're being paid enough in the portal, or I mean in the portal era at their place, is it possible that they might search elsewhere all the time is another topic probably for the off season. So, okay. A few other things, you know, KJ Jefferson's in the portal. Um, a lot of Taylor South green committed to Sam Pittman, Arkansas. I know somebody said KJ Jefferson in the chat as it pertains to Ohio state. I think it seems very clear that he's going to be going to South Carolina. Trey Benson, the terrific running back for Florida state has entered the NFL draft. 1,132 total yards and 15 total touchdowns this season. Number four here on the list uh, of news that we have to talk about. 
Ole Miss is just rolling in the portal right now. They landed Juice Wells today, number one transfer portal rank. And Max and Sam will be taking a closer look at the portal winners and losers and most impactful transfers on Tuesday's podcast. But, like, is Ole Miss coming into next year as just, like, a badass team that could win the SEC? Like, are we are – we yeah. could you get to that point already to think that, like, hey, they're going from – like, are we in an era where a solid team that wins nine or ten games can portal the hell out of out of teams, look at the schedule, see a soft spot, and just go look at, you know, this is the year we're going to make a run, pony up, one-year rentals, we're going to go get these guys in, We're gonna. this is our year. Like, is that a thing that can happen? Or is it seems happening? like that's it seems like that's where we're heading. It seems like that's what's happening right now. I mean, you look at it, you know, they're sniffing around Walter Nolan. That'd be an interesting addition as well. Um, apparently but, that visit went well. Yeah, but you got Tyler Barron, a guy who's been really productive at Tennessee. Key Lawrence, a kid who's been around to a couple schools, but a, a really high level recruit uh, coming from uh, Oklahoma as well. Uh, Tamarian McDonald. Uh, you throw in uh, Princely Uman Milan. Excuse me. I think that's from, right. Uh, from Florida. I believe that's right. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I had Juice Wells. I mean, you, you have a lot of high impact transfers and you are going to go. I mean, it seems like you're going all in here and whatever this costs, I'd be interested to see if we ever get some information on like, OK, how are you handling the finances behind it? Because I don't know that there's a lot of schools, you know, and Ole Miss for a long time was kind of behind. On, on an IL. And if you've got um, enough money that you're going to push a bunch more in, that's not typical to year one because Ole Miss has a pretty favorable schedule next year. It's an interesting strategy. And is it one that you can see pay off or other schools try if they're in a situation where, you know, you've got Judkins coming back, you got Dart coming back. Okay, let's go get a bunch of defensive guys. You add Juice Wells, another weapon there. It's, I mean, it. we, I, we haven't really seen a team do this, Right. Because we haven't had NIL in the portal era in this way. But this is a really fascinating strategy. It just reminds me of like a professional team. Yes. Getting up to like the trade deadline Mm -hmm. and their team looking really, really good, better than expected. They look at the remaining schedule and they go, hey, we have a lot of games on here that they can win. Are we going to put ourselves in a position by overspending at the trade deadline in order to make a run this year? I think that happens a lot in baseball. Scott, do you think that that's something that makes sense to you? Yeah, I think it does, especially for a place like Ole Miss, where uh, you know they're they're targeting some Tennessee defensive backs. I mean, you know, if you're on the fringe, which they are, I mean, they're in the New York Six, which effectively means that they would be in the playoff next year. If you load up, you've got a chance to host a game, win a game, get to the fi- you know Final Four or something like that. I think that's that's what you've got to do if you're in that position because uh, a, a team like Ole Miss, you know, it's not. It's not old blood, old blood money like Ohio State or, or uh, Alabama, where you're going to be able to get five stars every single year. But if you can load up for the years where you think you can be competitive, that's what you've got to do. As you said, the trade deadline in baseball, um, now's the time to hit free agency. It's like the Rams Super Bowl team a few years back. Yeah, well, I mean, OBJ, also, too, like you add uh, Von Miller. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But like it's like if they go out and get like a guy like Walter Nolan, who I believe was a top five player nationally in his class two years ago. I think he's and number one. Was he number one? Yeah, I mean, like, really certain. Seems to have flashed really, really nice film too. It's like that's a huge, huge, huge recruiting win that doesn't necessarily stack up with just adding somebody in the portal. That's like a foundational piece to maybe a, a multi-year piece for your program. So 
we'll we'll keep tabs on Ole Miss, but it's it's certainly interesting to see how um, teams are starting to use the portal and maybe becoming more aggressive when there is an opening to do something special based on circumstance, returning roster, and, and future schedule. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Scott, um, you ran a story this week uh, on The Athletic, changing years here now to a 24-team college football playoff. What inspired this uh, thought process and what did you find as you were working on it? Yeah, it's something that I've always been interested in. And I think uh, I've covered Division II playoffs 20 years ago and saw it firsthand and how exciting it was. And then over the weekend, I was watching some of the FCS playoffs and some of the other divisions. And I thought, can you imagine what this would be like if we ran, if there was a FBS 24 team playoff? And it just seems to be, you know, pretty much double the field what we're going to get. But having it at home campuses, in the middle of December and what you would get first week, then second week and some of these games. And I, I was really fascinated by how kind of the exercise played out because what I tried to do was um, use the, you know, the, the CFP selection committee standings, incorporate every champion, uh, you know, for the group of five and for the uh, power five. And then, um, and then try to, to isolate a little bit where you don't have teams from the same conference meeting until at least the regional finals. So a little bit of, of NCAA basketball tournament, or at least the way it used to be. So when I kind of went through this, I think it ended up about this, the way I, I thought it would, which was um, you've got some interesting first round matchups because you, you're going to have those group of five teams and some of the middle to lower level playoff contenders but then when you reach the second round, it's going to be the best weekend we've ever seen in, in college sports history. It'll make the NCAA tournament's first round look like, uh, yeah, just a shrug. It, it's unbelievable when you start to get into that, you know, mat- matchups like, uh, you know, Ole Miss at Ohio State 
or Mizzou at Oregon, but then also you get a little bit deeper and you get, you know, Oklahoma at Florida State, you get Notre Dame at Alabama, and then it goes from there. And those would be on home campuses. This is a kind of a difficult thing if you're listening to it to visualize. So in this bracket, just so you can try to follow me here, there are four different regions. In those four regions, there are six teams. Six times four equals 24. I did really well in high school math. Um, and then there are two by teams in each region. So here's the first region and try your, I know it's tough, but try to, to visualize it. The, uh, buys would be one and two Michigan and Oregon. Then you would have Oregon state at LSU. And I love that we have uh, TV times here, 8 PM on ESPN, ABC. <laughs> then you would have SMU at Mizzou. Um, that would be region one. And then of course the, Winners of those games would go on to play Michigan or Oregon in that region. Guys, do you think, and let me just say this before we continue to go on. I saw a stat on Twitter. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the FCS playoffs had a really fun game on Friday night. Apparently a lot of people were watching it. It was Saturday night. Those of us who appreciate the non Ohio state, non uh, uh, Alabama, basically non group a uh, enthusiasts appreciated the Montana, North Dakota state insanity. But I, I read a stat, though, that was funny, that mm-hmm. the only teams that have won the national championship, like well, except for one year in the entire history of this bracket, was a one or a two seed. Like, there are no Cinderella's in FCF football. Like, there, you don't have, like, a nine seed winning the national championship. And they I think get that's in there, exact- though. Albany got to the Final Four. Shout out mm-hmm. to the Dukes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where mm-hmm. I read it. I wish I would have remembered where I read it, but... Apparently, there's well, been like very little parity in the later rounds, and like the best teams well, in the country. And Scott, you said you covered it. Maybe yeah. you have some insight on this. Yeah, um, and that was one of the examples I used to where there can be a Cinderella story, and that was in 2005. Uh, so 18 years ago, man, I'm getting old. Uh, I I was living in Northwest Missouri, and I uh, I was along with our beat writer covering Northwest Missouri State's run. They were the t- last seed to get in the tournament. Now they are a powerhouse program and lost a couple of games that year, but they were playing Grand Valley State um, from Michigan, where Brian Kelly had just left a couple of years before it, and Chuck Martin was the coach who's at Miami of Ohio, and they were the last team to get in, and Grand Valley State was the first team to get in, and they made it all the way to the the championship finals. And it came down to the very end where a guy dropped a touchdown pass and, uh, and ultimately Grand Valley State won. So there is an opportunity for that. But I think what we'd also look at is um, the Cinderella stories are going to be comparable to what we see in the NCAA tournament, which is let's take um, in region, uh, you know, okay, we'll stick with region one since you put that up there. SMU yeah. going to Mizzou and winning. Easy. I don't think that's in, that, that's not out of – you know, character that that's something that's plausible, How you know, but then SMU going to Michigan the next week is something you're going, ah, no, that's not going to happen. But if it does, or a Troy goes to Washington or, or something to that, that effect. In fact, I, I tried to institute in each round that I showed here was some sort of not crazy upset, but an upset that, Oh, okay. Cause you just, cause every week there's going to be somebody who's a five beats a four or something like that. So I think I had Arizona upsetting Texas in the second round in region three. So 
But to, to, to suggest that any of these teams are going to win at all, I think is unrealistic, just like it is now, just like it would be with anybody beating, you know, like the group of five champion going and, and winning and beating Alabama, Ohio State, and uh, Ole Miss in three straight games or something like that is, is probably unrealistic in the current environment, whether you're talking about four teams like Cincinnati making it a few years ago or 12 teams, which is what we'll have next year. Well, this is fun to look at because I, I see it and, um, you know, having life to Mizzou and LSU are some of the stuff that we're going to get next year in the 12-team playoff. Teams that I think are very good who, if they get hot at the right time, could do something. Catherine mm-hmm. here, who's an LSU fan, uh, put into the chat, the point of Cinderella's isn't for them to win it all. It's to see how far they can ride the wave. People didn't need St. Pete's to win it all for their run to matter. That's true. I think, in fact, they probably wanted them to lose when they got to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, people want the best teams to play. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that it's cute in the beginning, and the further they get, the more people aren't rooting for them anymore because, you know, at the end of the of the road, you want to see the Titans play the Titans. But um, is there anybody in the first region that you think could win? In the first region? Uh, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I just I want mean, to see if we can get through the four regions and see if, they, if there's any possibility – that a team that isn't a one or a two seed wins. And I'm already going to push back a little bit. Like, I guess it's within the possibility that LSU could come out of that region. If they figured out, well, you know, their defense mm-hmm. a little bit got healthier, you know, the Heisman trophy winner is on their mm-hmm. team. They're probably athletically able to stack up with the one and two seeds. They're probably more talented than the one and two. Well, I mean, I all right, I'd be in the NBA if I was six, four, but these are all, these are all big ifs, right? No, I know, but I'm saying like if LSU won that region, it wouldn't be like St. Pete's getting to the Final Four. Liberty sneaking out of Region Two would be, and that's not. Well, let's the do the regions real quick then, so okay. people don't get confused. Region Two, uh, top seed is Washington. Uh, number two is Ohio State. Both of those teams get buys. Um, five is Liberty playing on the road at Louisville. Uh, six is Troy at Ole Miss. Uh, let's do Region Three now. Region Three is Texas as the number one seed, Georgia as the number two, both of whom getting buys. Uh, Five, NC State at number four, Arizona. Number six, Miami of Ohio at number three, Penn State. And then region four would be bye weeks for Alabama, Florida State. Then the first round games in in that region would be Iowa on the road at Notre Dame, which shoot that game into the sun. And then uh, six, Boise at number three, Oklahoma, and all these games can either be found on NBC or Fox or CBS because damn it. If we talk about the expanded playoff without bringing up a television contract. Um, <laughs> so I look at these regions here and it's like, okay, you know, Oklahoma could win region four, maybe right. Like region yeah, three, Oklahoma for me, the ones that like, okay. So if we're talking crazy, I'll give you LSU just as a theoretical exercise, LSU, I'll say Liberty, and I will say Arizona and I'll say Oklahoma would jump out to me as the four that like I could see it. You could see Liberty beating Washington or Ohio State? In it's plausible. It's not the craziest thing in the world. Scott, you yeah, have I mean I would probably say if, if there's I'd probably only put two or three that have a chance to even win their region, uh, let alone go past their region. And I think I think LSU makes sense because LSU has incredible athletes, has the best player in the country. So it gets hot. It's a close game. They can do things that that a team like 
Iowa, for instance, couldn't. Iowa plays great defense, doesn't do anything on offense, so it would struggle in those types of situations. I think Oklahoma would have would be possible, but not as likely. Um, I think Penn State would have some potential um, because you know they did play two outstanding teams and lost. You know. You know, and, and Arizona might be the other one. I, I kind of like the way Arizona finished the season, but the, but the rest of them. But, but I again, like to see Arizona play some games. Tournament brings. Yeah, yeah. I look at this and I think this would be freaking awesome because you have these little mini pods, and you've got six teams in these mini pods, and then whoever wins their mini pod gets to the final four. You guys know how brackets work. I don't know why I had to explain it. Mm-hmm. I feel like this could not and cannot happen. Like it would be awful if it happened, right? Like am I am I nuts? I wouldn't love it. I mean, all right, I'm an 18 playoff guy. I don't love the 12. I think the 12 is better than the 4, but if it were up to me, I'd go 8. If you do this, then then I think then I think we're having a fair conversation about what the regular season is. Yeah. And this is all hypothetical. We don't have to go down that road, but it's just like I'm trying to think of like in a world where we got this what would we pay for it? I think it's an interesting thought process, which brings us to the next discussion point here. And I think there's a lot of games that we'd be excited about. Is there an individual matchup before we move on that you guys would see in this hypothetical bracket and be like, God, I would, I think that Arizona, Texas would be the number one game I would have. And it's because I'm a Homer. Uh, well, I feel like I'd like to see, you know, if we could get, if we could find a way to get Washington and Texas to play each other and then Michigan and Alabama to play each other. <laughs> I don't know if we could find a way to do that, but I feel like if that could happen, I'd love to see those games. I know this is a theoretical exercise, but just imagine you would that. just love to see my the games that the four team field gave us. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> hey, 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 Scott, my favorite thing about your thing here is that region three's bye week is Georgia. Uh, and region four is Alabama has got a bye week and we would just get to see that game again. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how many teams you expand, like the route to what we already have is like the fi- finish line to these sort of things. But is there a game in there, Scott, that you would be like, okay, uh, this give me, give me more of this. Like, okay. So Iowa beats Notre It'd be Iowa, Florida state. Maybe. Uh, I don't see that happening. I think it'd be Iowa, Alabama, and then the dream would be over. But, but I think the, uh, the, what I would have it is one versus four and two versus three, um, you know, kind of bracketed that way. It, 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 I, I guess Notre Dame and Alabama. I mean, here's the thing. You start looking at these games on campus, Notre Dame and Alabama, sign me up just because of the, of the helmets, if nothing else. Oklahoma at Florida State, sign me up because of the helmets. Penn State at Georgia. Um, you know, Ole Miss playing in Ohio State. What if it's snowing in Ohio State? And Ole Miss has to go there. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, Louisville and Washington that, you know, you got Jeff Brom and the way he likes to play against Michael Penix, who he used to play. Uh, I mean, and then, of course, LSU at Michigan. I mean, you know, you've got I mean, those yeah, are LSU, the matchups Michigan. that I think people go, wow, OK, sign me up. I definitely want to see that. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and the other part of it is keeping it on campus. This is what I think everybody's going to recognize next year is that the teams that receive buys will look and go, you know, how in the hell did those guys get home games? You know, if you're looking right now and you're saying Georgia and Florida state, they're, they're playing at home in that first round. And why don't we get to do that? We earned it all year. And then, then you're going to start talking about fans trying to travel. 
I mean, you're going to travel to three destination locations if your team's going to win the national title. I mean, you're talking about maybe your first round, you know, if you're the fourth seed, you might be playing in New Orleans and then you might be playing in Miami and then you might be playing in Arlington or, or LA at SoFi Stadium. I mean, that's, <laughs> you're asking your fans to travel a lot and spend a ton of money. Um, and I don't know that that's going to be feasible. So my guess is within even two years, by the time the 2026 season rolls around, you're going to see some of those schools that have been first that have been had by saying, why can't we get at least one game on campus? Okay. Let's go to the next segment here, which is a, a, we're connecting off of the previous segment, which is, is a 2014 playoff a realistic model for the FBS? Um, first off, is there a real future where the playoff expands again? Is the 2014 thing ideal or even 28 like D2 or 32 like D3 better? Other questions that we have is, would there be on-site games like we're expecting in the 12T era in this? I think that Scott just answered that question. And a topic of consternation has been the off-season December schedule right now. Uh, with signing day and soon the 12 team playoff happening all simultaneously. If the schedule is already a headache now, uh, how might programs navigate a 24 team field and how on earth would television networks juggle this? Do you think that it's going to get to this point guys? Yeah. Here's, here's the uncomfortable truth. Ari there's bills coming. There's bills coming for these uh, so-called nonprofits and whatever it looks like, whether players become employees, whether you put, you know, X amount of money in a trust, which we'll discuss later. There's going to be some level of, whether in reality or in name only, some revenue sharing. And you know what happens when you share, Ari? We both have young, young children. That means you get a little bit less. So that means, okay, you're either going to spend less on coaches. You're certainly going to spend less on facilities, right? Well, you're probably not going to spend less on coaches, maybe a little bit. But you've got to find alternate revenue sources, and we've written about some of them. Some of them might be in Saudi Arabia, perhaps, sorry. But the one that makes the most sense and that there's a lot of money to be had, you know what that would be, Ari? Sponsorships? No, expand the playoffs. More things for you to sell. You had neutral site games. Those are sellable. Sponsorships was just me hoping that you would say this is impossible, but I guess I yeah. didn't get there. Well, there you go. You have, you know, neutral site games. You pay, you know, you get $5 million, something like that for a game like that. Uh, conference championship games. Everyone knows they're stupid and they're unnecessary. You know why we have them, Ari? Because they make money and people need to make money. For sponsorships. Yeah, for sponsorships, right. And so if you have a playoff, I mean, uh, I forget what uh, who it was that was talking recently. Oh, it was uh, uh, when I was at um, the Sports Business Journal. Uh, intercollegiate forum they had a um private equity guy talking about you know the involvement and he basically said the playoff on its own if it was a standalone business would be worth a billion dollars well what if we doubled it or tripled it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money to be had so as these bills come due you're you're looking around for alternate revenue sources it's going to be too enticing like listen I don't want to do it as much as the next person because I think you you run the risk of of hurting the regular season, but it's coming because bills are coming and you oh, only you have care so about the regular season. I do <laughs> not just the rivalry games, though, Ari. I care when Ohio State and Maryland play. <laughs> and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see that? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott, do you think this is the end game here or is it just a fun exercise? I think it's a fun exercise for today, but I think in the future, um, you know, all of this is tied together. Realignment is forcing a lot of issues. There's going to be more money out there. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, when you look at what's going to happen with the ACC with their grant of rights and the Big 12 eventually and, and, uh, you know, how does that all get you know, woven into this. And that's why I put down, I mean, it was kind of fun to, to try to schedule it out by network, but I added four networks because, you know, I mean, it'd be kind of insane for ESPN to grab all of it and get down to their eighth crew doing a game on a one given weekend. Uh, but if you're got, if you make this at least two networks, you know, the Fox family of networks and the ESPN family of networks, I mean, and they, they're splitting the cost. The amount of money and that's going to the schools will be insane. And as, as David mentioned, um, there's going to be some sort of level of revenue sharing. And this is one way to, to pay for it. And it's probably, you know, along the lines of what the NFL does, which is provide some sort of neighborhood of maybe – 55% of all media rights revenue goes to the players. And this is a way to, to generate more revenue for the athletes. And, and so do I expect it now? No, I think they're going to continue to dip their toe in the water. You know, you might see a switch to home campuses maybe fairly soon, but, and then maybe a, an upgrade to 16 teams, you know, so this might be two decades down the road, but I think at some point uh, they're going to have to ex expand because, uh, you know, you also have bowl games and what bowl games bring and don't bring. And and I think uh, the more the playoff is important, you know, that's also uh, that's also part of what these teams are shooting for. And to get more teams in the playoff, kind of like the NCAA tournament, it makes or breaks your season. Going to a bowl game is kind of like going to the NIT, the, the, long, the more this expands. Yeah. I'm sad. <laughs> I'm sad, guys. Nobody, listen, nobody's been in charge of college football for a long time, and it legislated itself into a place that is not great. All right, Scott, you're just the star of the show today. You got all these stories that we're, that we're talking about, but now we have to ask you a quick question. Why the hell does Iowa not have an offensive coordinator? This is the next segment. Let's do a quick roll call of noteworthy offensive coordinators that have been hired. In this cycle, uh, Andy Kotelnicki at Penn State um, was the leader of the Jayhawks' 28th nationally ranked total offense and 434 yards per game. Very exciting offensive scheme, and the potential of Penn State seems to be off the charts. Jeff Grimes, 
KU, the offensive coordinator for Baylor team in 21 that averaged 31 points per game and was a Broyles Award finalist. Jonathan Brewer for Duke coached the 14th ranked SMU offense to 465 yards and 40 points per game. Uh, Brian Lindgren at MSU, uh, Michigan State, retained as Jonathan Smith's offensive coordinator from Oregon State with the 32nd ranked offense with 426 yards per game and 33 points per game. And then Colin Klein at Texas A&M did really well at Kansas State. Like what is happening here as the portal is coming and going uh, Iowa has had a head start, <laughs> maybe a two-year head start, depending on how you want to look at it, to try to get somebody here. Why is this taking so long, and is this coaching malpractice? No, uh, this is a different type of situation than where you have at the other places. Um, now, Colin Klein, I think, might work, uh, might have worked at Iowa, but I think when you look at this right now, um, Iowa is really strapped when it comes to the portal. They are now at officially 86 scholarships going into next year. And so they, they're waiting on some NFL decisions, but there are a couple of coaches right now under heavy consideration. Um, and one of them is Joe Philbin, uh, who coached at Iowa a million years ago, but is, was the uh, offensive coordinator oh. for Green Bay, head coach of the Dolphins. Um, and then the other one is Paul Crist, you know, who uh, coached at Wisconsin. And those are two that are, probably the most prominent guys under consideration. And, and I think the thing is with, with an Iowa versus everybody else, you know, Iowa can fill the vacuum left behind in, in some ways by Wisconsin, by going to the, to an offense that has 90% 11 personnel. If it leans into what makes it successful or had made it successful when it did average 31 and almost 32 points a game a couple of years ago, which is the play action. better run game and certainly a, a passing scheme that's, you know, not from, you know, 1991. And I think that's what the what either of these coaches can bring to Iowa is a better passing system with better depth, with better um, route running and, um, yeah, Deacon Hill trying to run Sean Lewis's up-tempo offense is um, a non-starter. I'm probably better than that. <laughs> uh, so I, but anyway, it's, it's different, but I think Paul Christ, if he was the hire would be really good. Well, Scott, I have to, I have to ask it based on, on what Dave said mm-hmm. about Syracuse, right? Dave, the two names that you mentioned and Tony Ayo here, one of our loyal listeners mentioned it, are old white guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just the only way that this is going to work at Iowa, but is it possible that we're going to find out that Brian Ferentz wasn't the problem next year? Yes and no. Um, part of the problem has been execution and lack of the player development. When they were successful a few years ago, they had – first round draft picks on the offensive line and, and tight end. And, and they actually do have some who are injured now. Um, so I think Brian is very good when it comes to run game coordination and less good when it comes to pass game coordination. And I think having all the injuries they did on offense really stunted any kind of ability for them to get out of that big hole that they were in. And I would say that, you know, to push back a little bit on the theory, I mean, you know, half of their coaches are African-American. 
um, some significant ones, as I mentioned. So um, they have a role in, in in doing this now. You know, Joe Phil, Joe Philbin and Paul Christ, for instance. I think one thing that they've got to do is work with what Kirk Ferentz wants to do, and that is be, play complementary football. And it may bore the hell out of some people, but it it actually when this team's winning ten games, and I know next year it's going to be an open division. But you can't tell me that Washington coming to Iowa City is going to be something that they're going to be able to walk through because I've seen so many teams come to Iowa City and get their ass kicked that I, I think that it's just about can they run the ball effectively? Can they play action pass? Can they move the ball down the field? And if they score for 31 points like they did in 2020 or 2018, then this team will be just fine where it is. They cannot. If they hire Joe Philbin, listen, I just like – like the guy hadn't coached in college, you know, in an on field role at least in like twenty years, and like one year as an analyst at Ohio State, like just the college game and the pro game are so different, and especially if you're not going to bring in a new system where you have some new ideas and some new blood. I'm not even sure what they would be running, you know. There, you could say quote unquote pro style, okay, but like the defensive schemes are totally different, and the athletes are totally different. Like, I, th- I, you know, I think. We hear the term complimentary football. I, when I hear that term, that just means, well, our offense isn't very good, but like we can still do some stuff. And it's like, no, it just Dave. seems to me like a faulty way to try and build a program, especially when you're not in the Big Ten West anymore. All the totals in the NFL on Sunday were like in the 30s. I like know. The Steelers, there's a lot of teams that play like Iowa in the NFL. Like, I think that yeah, there's, there's not a, a lot in somewhere. college. Um, but I do, and Catherine here uh, brought this up, Scott, and it's an interesting thought because I had it myself. Um, when you said, what's Washington going to do when they go into Iowa next year? Probably exactly what Penn State did. Like if you have top, and maybe not next year's team, but if you bring in a team that has a very good quarterback um, and top level receivers, you need to do something to answer that because Iowa's defense is excellent. I think Iowa's defense is also shown when you're playing against a high powered offense with a ton of very good players on it, that there's only so much you can withstand before the dam opens. Um, And I just think that it's like, if you're going to play this way, then you are like basically resigning yourself to saying what they did this year, which was freaking remarkable. I was texting you about it a few weeks ago. Like, all the Iowa jokes aside, the team literally won double-digit games, played in the Big Ten championship game, and came close to even covering that game. They played their asses off in the Big Ten championship game. So, like, I don't think that Kirk Ferentz is a bad coach by any stretch of the imagination because of just what he was able to do this year in spite of a problem that I think you could partially, if not solely, blame on him. But, like, I think there was this thought process that Iowa was going to recognize that they could play complementary football while also being open to offensive innovation. Like, I don't think that you have to run three tight end sets out of the pro style under center formation in order to play smart football that gets first downs and play complementary football. Like it doesn't have to be boring 60 year old man coming up with the plays. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but does that make sense to what, what, what I'm saying? Like, can't they like try to do something somewhat new that just gives their athletes a chance to do um, more in space and maybe acquire better athletes that are excited about running the offense, or does it just have to be a team that is better at getting first downs, but not necessarily scoring in order to win these games? 
I don't know. Maybe Iowa only has one one way to go here, and that's to try to duplicate what they just did. But no. is there something else that can be done no. here, or is it just is what it is? Well, I I, I mean, you know, here, here's the thing. It's not going to be they're, – they're not going back to the Big Ten championship game ever again if they average 16 plus point, you know, 16 points a game. They know that. You know, they also know that you can't average 250 yards a game and hope to win 10 games again because that's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. They can play this style of football and be much better on offense. But the thing is, are they going to be able to go out and recruit the athletes in Iowa to be able to execute at a high level? I think they could do what Iowa State does and be effective. But I don't think they could go out and do what TCU did with Max Duggan and be effective. I think it's a matter of how do they leverage what they have, their strengths, play to that those strengths. Because, you know, and then, you know, when we start to talk about age, I don't like to be ageist. I think people can execute plans because I think sometimes people get too fired up over four wide receiver sets and three, three, five defensive packages. And we're all like cats chasing a, a laser pointer. It's about winning games. And if you win the game, if you're physical and the other team isn't, you're going to win that game as long as you can execute. And Iowa's problem has been that they've, you know, they've thrown what 36 touchdown passes the last four years. The three previous years, the first three under Brian Ferentz, they had a quarterback throw 68. You know, they had players and they were able to run the ball effectively. They haven't been able to do that now because they don't have the linemen they did. They don't have the quarterback. And now if they have a better passing system, I think they're going to be fine. But, uh, you know, to, to scrap it, you know, you look at Wisconsin. Now, maybe in the future, that's that's the move that Iowa should make. But I think right now, um I would if if I was offensive coordinator and how I would do this a little bit differently, I would have a running quarterback. I, I would have somebody who could run the ball because Deacon Hill can't. They never really had anybody who can except CJ Beathard, and that still isn't uh, you know anybody you know great. So if they can have somebody somewhat innovative that way, more power to you. But I, I do think that it's not it doesn't need to be completely scrapped. You know the style. It's more the system that needs to be I'll cl- Yeah, I'll, I'll close with this before we move on. But I, I, you talk to really good offensive coaches, you hear two things. Every time we touch the ball, we should try to score seven. And every play should be designed to score. Doesn't have to score. Because you're not taking shots on every play. But like every play, you should have an attempt to score. And you watch Iowa play, and it's almost like... I, I just don't believe they have that mindset. And I just... I think that the the thought process and how they view offense, you know, we can argue about the second point, but if you don't believe that every time the offense takes the field, they should be trying to score seven, and that's the only thing that's good enough on that possession, you're just not you're you're just you're not you're not asking enough. You're not dreaming big enough. You're not aiming high enough. This is a problem. And I think Iowa just philosophically, you know, has an issue there. And I think you've got to demand more. And if you're sitting there going, well, if we can just get up to 20 points a game or if we can just, you know, cut down our three and outs, it's just like, how about you try and go score every time you touch the ball? Like, that's what the, that's what the point of offense is. And I just, I think it's philosophically so misaligned. Anyway. Scott, continuing to hold the banner for our podcast, <laughs> let's move on to the next segment now, which is how can bowl games remain relevant in the 12-team college football playoff era? The Duke's Mayo Bowl may have the blueprint. 
This is a story of innovation and change, which is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Scott wrote this story um, on The Athletic. Scott, what can you tell us about this story and what their plan is? Yeah, I think the Duke's Mayo Bowl has done a really good job of understanding, being very self-aware, which I don't know that bowl games have been that way in the past. And that is understanding its place in the world and how do they make it relevant. And there are a couple of ways where they've done that. One is that they've been able to, they have a sponsor and they've leaned into the unique and funness. Uh, that's not even a word, but a, the fun part of no, college football, works. which is yeah, <laughs> the Mayo bath. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a viral moment bath. every year. Yes. I mean, how many times have, you know, I've, I know I've been in press boxes uh, at, at other bowl games and all of a sudden somebody says, Hey, you got to turn to the, the Mayo bowl. They're getting ready for the Mayo bath. So they've made it a fun endeavor, but I think this year, may actually be another step that all bowl games need to get into. And that is uh, in an NIL marketplace because it allows the players coming to town to have the ability to, to generate their own revenue while they're there. And, and like, for instance, there, it's, it's great for both teams. You've got North Carolina, which is obviously a, a home you know site. And uh, so they can, do commercials, get link up with businesses that way. You have West Virginia. I mean, if you have a, a senior finance major who understands, well, NFL is probably not going to be my bag, um, but he comes to Charlotte, North Carolina, where there's a bunch of Fortune 500 companies, you might be able to link up and have some, whether it's internship ideas or, or bit, you know, potential job opportunities. I think that's what bowl games have to be is make it fun. The game is part of it, but just like on Saturdays, everybody wants their team to win, but that's not realistic. It's about the event. It's about people tailgating. It's about having a good time. And I think that's the same way with the Bulls, that it's not just, hey, game, come to this game. Come to this game. So the players, even the ones on the border are going, well, maybe I should opt out and get ready for the NFL. Well, if you get, have the opportunity to make a couple thousand dollars while you're there and, uh, and ha- watch your coach get lathered up in mayonnaise, I think it's a, even though that may be disgusting, it's still a lot of fun. So that's what I think this is a really good idea that, you know, not everybody's going to have mayonnaise, but I think you could have different things, a dunk tape or tank or something, you know, going forward. Dave's uh, whole thing is edible mascots now, right? Like that's your, I that's love your it. Thing. The Pop-Tarts bull. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, do they know how they're doing innovation. it though? Is it going to be a Pop-Tart in a They've kept the details very under wraps. They won't even tell you the flavor. Of yes. I just want to know if it is a person wearing something that's mm-hmm. edible or if the mascot is a the, huge uh, Pop-Tart that is just not moving. It's unclear, and I'm going to tune mm-hmm. in to find out. Because sweating, be disgusting person wearing <laughs> this Pop-Tart that bakes in the sun and people take a bite out of the human. Well, now, I hang on be- now. Now, the Pop-Tart spell does have a normal mascot, and then after the game... There will be an unsheathing, I assume, with a large sort of thin foil wrapper, a la traditional Pop-Tarts. The Pop-Tart will be unsheathed. I assume in that moment it's flavor. (laughs) I assume in that moment the flavor will be revealed. I believe in my heart of hearts that it it will be a frosted strawberry. I will accept brown sugar cinnamon. But frosted strawberry is certainly the iconic flavor. But the edible mascot will not have been run around all day. It will only appear after. Whether or not there is a person inside, uh, 
I think has been purposefully kept vague, and I I cannot wait to find yes. out the answer to this question. My guess is yes. The the main pop tart discussion here is that you think that strawberry f- or frosted strawberry is like the iconic flavor. Yes, but isn't the one that I always like grew up eating uh, was the the cinnamon one? Which one's that? It's the brown sugar, brown cinnamon. sugar cinnamon. I would say brown sugar cinnamon is a top is a top three. I think frosted blueberries in the mix. Uh, mm. The chat, Catherine B has noted that some parents did not allow the unfrosted strawberry or did not allow the frosted strawberry. Kept with the frosted. Fortunately, my parents loved me, so they allowed me to have mm-hmm. frosting on my <laughs> Pop-Tart. My question for both of you, Ari and Scott, is would you eat the edible mascot, the edible Pop-Tart? If it was unsheathed, absolutely. Like, I... <laughs> I I would. I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I actually took a bite out of a pop tart. Anyway, like when's the last? Like I graduated from middle school, and that was the end of my pop tart era. Like I don't know. Is this something that you ate in college? Yeah, unfortunately, I am a pop tart connoisseur. <laughs> and yes, I would. Oh, eat you the, are. The okay. Oh yeah, I would eat the mascot. Are you still eating these? Uh, in like your yeah, adult sadly, life. Well, yeah. I mean, I my kids grew up, and they were easy breakfast items. So, um, unfortunately there were there a lot of times and I shouldn't have eaten them, but I did talk to <laughs> Steve Hogan with the citrus bowl, citrus bowl sports about this. And he was hoping that whatever, you know, was the, the live mascot that will be edited. It wasn't going to be a, uh, it, it wouldn't be living. Um, but that might be the case. I can't wait to see it while I'm down there. And I, uh, but yes, if it was unsheathed, I would love it. If it, you know, and if it was sheathed, I'd wait for it. As long as it was a blueberry, blueberry, get I'm out gonna, of my face. But strawberry, stra- cross, frosted strawberry, you bet. I'm going to give you one quick Pop-Tart hot take. And I want to ask you one more question about your story. The s'mores flavor was elite and the best one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott, in your story, the Duke's Mayo president, uh, Joe Tuza said, the company's communication staff spoke openly about leaning into info, if not celebrating the quirky and weirdness of the sport. Do you think that the bowl game's relevance is vastly improved as a result of this? I know people tune in. I know you said that. But what is it about the Mayo Bowl that makes people want to watch the game more? A couple of things would be, one, you know, you, you've got to have decent teams. You've got to have teams that people care about. And I think North Carolina, West Virginia is is a good bowl game. I mean, is it a great one? Well, that's uh, probably not, but I mean, there are teams that people know about, but I think the quirkiness part of it, the end of it is what people tune into, but it's also like, Oh, well, there's two, there's a couple of decent teams and they've had, you know, close to 3 million viewers the last couple of years and their impressions have been off the charts. I mean, I think it was 35 million impressions that they've had because of the bowl, um, because of the, the Mayo dump. So that's, that's where I think, you know, when you, so let's take that versus the Sun Bowl or the Liberty Bowl. And I don't want to call them out necessarily, but what do you know about them other than they're in El Paso and Memphis? They're bowl games. But now the Duke's Mayo Bowl, it's in Charlotte, but they're, they all have similar kind of teams, but one has a Mayo dump. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty fun. And so now the other ones have to, you know, I'm not sure you can lasso the sun, but in El Paso, but I think you could try to find different ways to to do something that uh, people will recognize and have fun with. That's what people say whenever I say, can Iowa average 40 points a game? And they say, well, you can't lasso the sun. (laughs) While Scott was talking, I Googled uh, the definition for unsheathed. (laughs) 
and it's past tense, and it's to draw or pull out a knife, sword, or similar weapon from its sheath or covering. Um, and I think it makes perfect sense to refer to a Pop-Tart that way. All right, let's get to some voicemails real quick, and we'll get to the Jerry Kill uh, P-Gate, too, before we get out of here. Let's start with the voicemail. This is Derek in Indiana. Am I crazy, or is USC cursed ever since Pete Carroll left? I'm looking at the college football playoff, and Steve Sarkeesian is there with Texas back. I'm looking at the New Year's Six Bowls, and I see Lane Kiffin there with Ole Miss and a top-ten finish. Even Ed Orgeron manages to win a national championship at LSU after he leaves. And while Lincoln Riley's defenses were never great at Oklahoma, they weren't this bad with a Heisman-caliber quarterback. So what's the deal? What's happened at USC and... Is Lincoln Riley going to win a next a national championship when he goes to his next job? Ever since they took Reggie Bush's Heisman away, <laughs> it was cursed. Um, and it wasn't USC. I think that the, re- the this is the rational thought process here. And I'm very curious, and I know that I've had some discussions with Antonio Morales, our USC beat reporter, about this. But, you know, as you, like, look at the jobs that are in the top ten, maybe even the top five in 2004, like at the end or the beginning of the end, I, I don't remember what year uh, Pete left for the NFL, but after 06. their Matt Leinart run, like Oh five, Oh four. Perfect. So my timing is perfect. USC was probably considered a top three job in America, you know, based on brand <laughs> and mm-hmm. proximity to talent and all of those things. And I wonder now, as the game has shifted dramatically to a national recruiting necessity um, and power conferences and the money that's involved in them, um, if USC is just not a good enough job to be considered what we thought they would be, and I've had to like a reckoning about this because I'm going to owe Andy $1,000 at the end of this year um, because I still viewed USC as 05 USC when Lincoln Riley took the job. And maybe the game is passing it by a little bit because it's like Steve Sarkeesian, um, I think was always a gifted play caller, but is it possible that he just went to a better job with access to more players and a more relevant logo? I, I, I don't know. Cause you, Texas also has been down as long as you, I mean, what is your yeah. take on this? Like, is like in, in my, my biggest question is, are the players in California just overrated or not as good as they used to be for whatever reason? Is it a less players are playing? They don't have linemen out there. Um, it's political views and I'm not very political, but I think more people are less likely to want to play it at a younger age. Um, I don't know what it is, but California players in general, if we did like a stat lookup of this, I wonder if they have been as successful as players in Texas or in the South. And if you look at all these other teams that are out there, Ole Miss is in the South, Texas is in Texas and recruiting the South. Um, Ed Orgeron won his national championship in the South. Like, is there a South versus California discussion that has to be had here? I I think here, here's my concern with USC and I'll take a page from Iowa football and I will sort of punt on your question. <laughs> and my thought is you're punting on my question. It's not, well, because it's not so much the past as much as I look at USC's future. The job got a lot worse this year, didn't it? No, I think it got a lot better this year. Moving to the Big Ten? Well, financially. I think that everybody in the Big Ten got a better boost for it. I don't, I, it might be I think that USC's brand has been hurt by being a part of a team. I think that USC's brand had been hurt 
by being in a conference that was a secondary thought to major college football. And that's no longer the case anymore. They don't geographically fit, but cyclical? now they're in one of the two. And also, but I, I'll say, but to counter that, Ari, I don't hear a lot of recruits, especially elite players, saying, oh, I got to go to the Big Ten. That's not what they say. They say, oh, I got to go to the SEC where all the legit guys are. So, no, but we're talking about the future. Because the Big Ten, I, know, I think, is, is I, I, changing that. I think that the Big they? Ten's. I, no, we I think they are. We national title, Ari. One, what, no, one, I'm saying being one of the years? two power conferences will change that. I think you're. I think you're. You're. You're mixing money with perception, and also. But I know, results. but money means more facilities, more coaches, more recruiting budget, more everything. The Big Ten's made yeah. more money than the SEC for two decades, and it hadn't mattered. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they get their butts kicked. So I think you're wrong yeah. about this. I think the job is worse well, because you can't just rack up Pac-12 titles if you have a competent coach there anymore. It's going to be tough to win the Big Ten. I, I think the underrated part of this is that. USC defense has been trash for a long time. Their their concepts have been bad, and the their attention to detail has been among the worst in the country. And and if, if they could play solid defense, fundamentally sound defense, they would compete for national championships. You just can't do it on only offense. It's fun. We enjoy the hell out of it every week when we're doing our Heisman polls. It's like, oh, Caleb Williams is you know throwing seven touchdown passes. Yeah, but they still lost. But, all you have to do is look at Utah. Guys, 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 as we're answering this question, as we are answering this question, Malachi Nelson, the five-star USC quarterback, has entered the transfer portal. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if they're going to be playing Will Howard next year, it's kind of like, whatever. I, I just think it's very interesting that as we're having this USC discussion that they're future quarterback enter the tra- am i nuts i'm this is crazy i mean we talked to Antonio about the the vibes from him have not been fantastic like in terms of just what you hear out of there yeah the injury i mean if you want to tell me that they would be better off with him than with will howard i'm just going to disagree with you on that david it's not so much about um whether or not this guy was going to turn into caleb it's about quarterback culture and we've seen it at ohio state but that's changing. Five-star quarterback from Los Angeles area mm-hmm. going to USC, supposedly becoming the next great thing, going into the portal very quickly into his career. Um, and Will Howard coming in like this is not the way that USC's quarterback position is supposed to be going. It doesn't matter what you think of him. I think that it is a big deal. Well, if he can't play, it does matter what we think of him, right? Or if you don't think he can be the next guy. And I think if, if USC believed that 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 he could be the next guy that he's going to walk in and his his upside that they believe that what they had seen in practice and so far was going to be that great, you're probably not fielding that call from Will Howard. You've probably had frank conversations with Will Howard, and he probably understands we're probably going to need to go somewhere else, right? I think that if it's a evaluation issue or a thing gone awry issue, that the success that Lincoln Riley has had who is probably the only coach in college football um, that has had as much or more success in Ryan day at the quarterback position is going through. This is a significant program development. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's five-star quarterbacks. They don't hit. I mean, they hit higher when they're being coached by Lincoln rally than a lot of places, but they're not can't miss. 
Like, I asked mm-hmm. the question earlier in the show, David. Here's the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At Ohio State and at USC and Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was the coach, no matter what was going wrong, you could always know that your coach was on top of the quarterback position. They whether it be are. in recruiting or You're whether it be in Will development. Howard. Will Howard's good. I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying that Will Howard isn't a great player. This is, is this the, so this is the new plan for USC? This is great? You don't think this is a big, how do you not think this is a big deal? I'm, I'm blown Maybe away that you new, don't think it's a big deal. I think, because I think it's just as simple as, I don't think it's a quote unquote plan. I think it just seems like Maybe they believe they missed on Malachi Nelson. He's not going to be, you know, five-star recruiting ranking does not mean five-star potential, right? And maybe they believe, hey, we like Will Howard a little bit more. Next year, he gives us a better chance to win because Lincoln Riley's not on the hot seat, but, buddy, you better win next year or it's going to be a problem. Um, Will Howard also like, was losing shit. reps in the middle of the season to a true freshman, wasn't he? He also got hurt. Um. Very interesting dynamic. Also, Daquan Finn has chosen Baylor. Now, that's interesting. The, the marriage with Jake Spavital. I think hiring Jake Spavital was a really good pickup uh, for Dave Aranda there. Um, and that, you know, I, I don't love Daquan Finn's arm talent. I think he's really productive. I think he's a really great playmaker. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think that can go very, very well. I think that makes a lot of sense for both sides. I like that pickup. Yep. Scott, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just got really excited. Whenever five-star quarterbacks go <laughs> into the portal, it happens. Okay, we got one more question, and then we're going to do P-Gate. This is going along. Uh, let's go to the next question, guys. This is Tommy from Elgin again. I went too long. Uh, so I don't think you have to talk about this with the Charlie Baker NIL proposition, which won't probably put in effect. But if it did with that current system of rules where the colleges hold NIL, could that just be where Oregon then just wins everything because Nike just bankrolls I mean, like all of their sports, but football especially, where they can just have every single player has a Nike shoe and apparel deal, and they can just give everyone all of the money. Is that something that would be good, or am I just completely off base on where if you could have – Schools owning their own NIL deals and a school like Oregon where they basically Nike would it just be like the high school basketball AU circuit where just you start to get brands owning them as opposed to the schools owning them. Let me make a thought. Sir. Can I ask a question in response to this? If Phil Knight decided we're going to give a half a million dollars to every Oregon scholarship player that comes here for a Nike NIL deal, couldn't he already do that? Sort of. What? Just put take a picture of them and put them in a catalog yeah. as models for Nike and pay them money and compensate yeah. them for their image. I mean, I think that the, I, I think that that is an interesting question, but I also like thought that the beginning of NIL, you would see billionaire corporation owners who are fans of teams doing this already, and we haven't seen it. And I think the reason why is. Because I don't know if publicly traded companies can be in a position where their every dollar and cent is scrutinized on a um, you know quarterly earnings report that investors are looking at. I don't know how it works, but like mm-hmm. you know, and, and here I see I see Nike doesn't have unlimited money. They sure don't, but they absolutely could pay a million eighty five million dollars a year if they wanted to give a million dollars to everybody on the team, if they, for signing with Oregon, you're automatically a Nike athlete who makes a million bucks. They could do that. 
right? If he was like obsessed with it. I mean, that's a bad it. investment. I think here's what we're going to have to reshape as we move Would it be a bad this. investment if Phil Knight yes. said- $85 million a year for your roster No, 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 no. I know, but I'm saying yeah. like, would it work though? Wouldn't it work? No, because that doesn't make sense. That's not how rosters work, right? There's no point in paying a million dollars for the backup left tackle that was a three-star versus like Bo Nix. Well, here's your million dollars too. What I if think Phil what Knight gonna- said, if you're a five-star prospect, I'll give you a million dollars to sign with us. We want five. We, we're starting a new shoe I mean, line that's called not Five Star U. In the current market, Here, here's what we're gonna have to figure out. Ra's Phil Knight can pay era. whatever he needs to pay. You're not focusing on the point. Focus on the okay. point. Okay. If Phil Knight decided he wanted to make Oregon, yeah. So let's just do Tim Cook. They've got even more money than Nike. Let's just do Auburn then. Tim Cook is a rabid Auburn fan, mm-hmm. and and Apple I think is the largest company on the face of the earth, and he makes buku dollars. Every single person who signs with Auburn as a top 100 player is an automatic Apple athlete who gets a pair of these headphones um, and you wear them on the bus into the games. And in order to do that, we'll give you X number of dollars that outpays whatever anybody else is paying you to come to Auburn. Would that be a successful plan to make that team an elite level national title contender? That's the question. No, I, th- I think we've already seen that it's not going to happen. So let's not even like because like you said, Ari, if it could happen, it would have already happened. The, the, the powers that be, the business owners that be, have already decided we're not going to do this. But what I think you're going to do in the new era is what's going to happen is you're going to have the big-time players who do command a lot of money. And I think we're going we're gonna, to, in whatever the new model of college sports look like, we're going to do away with this stupid pretend NIL. Okay, It's going to get a lot more explicit. Whether it's a trust fund, like uh, Charlie Baker threw out, or whether it is employment agreements, whatever, okay? You're going to have everybody getting a bottom-level paycheck, like a baseline check of whatever that is. It's going to be pretty high at the great places, probably well into the six figures. And then the big players are going to get a lot, a lot more. And then, you know, if you have a big year, maybe you renegotiate. We'll see kind of what that looks like in terms of an escalator scale. But you're going to see this go away from spending a ton of money on recruiting and more on... Here's our base level. Here's what everybody Dave. gets. And if you succeed here, you're going to make a ton of money. That's what it's going to look like. It's an interesting discussion point, though, and it <laughs> hasn't happened, so it probably won't. Um, and, Scott, if you have something to add, I'll, this is your time. Yeah, I think it's an incredible waste of money. <laughs> and I think those companies got rich by not doing that. Um, I, I don't know how this is going to shake out when it comes to NIL because I, I you've got certain people who – deserve a lot of money, but I don't think you're going to just across the board, give everybody the same amount. Everybody gets a million dollars because as David said, you know, there's going to be the third team left tackle who, and does he deserve a million bucks? I mean, you know, it's going to be pretty capitalistic and I, and I know like some NIL or, you know, collectives go with uh, kind of a, a socialistic part and then a capitalistic part, which the socialistic is Hey, everybody goes to this school and, and reads books to kids. They all get the same amount. And then there's Texas another part that. where it's like, hey, you get what you're worth, you know. And I think it's going to be market price. It's going to be market value, you know. So that's kind of what I think is going to happen in the future. It's 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 just interesting to me unstable. that it's like you think the hundred million dollars is this huge amount of money. You know, Apple brought in ninety billion dollars of quarterly revenue this past year. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of money that we're talking about here is banana land. Yeah, but it has to be $92 billion next year, Ari. And if you take out $150 million of that to go pay kids, then that makes it harder. It, it, 
I, I, I don't disagree with you, but that's just not how these businesses operate. And if it could, if it was going to happen, it would already happen. Apple spends $10 billion a year on advertising. Just so you know, like in terms of like budgeting, like that is nothing. I'm just trying to make the point that it's, it's this nothing. This isn't advertising though. That's not advertising. I mean, I don't know if Malachi Nelson. No, it's when not. NIL, NIL as we, listen, let's not, you're, you're getting muddled into NIL as de facto I'm just saying if, play and NIL if a company that was worth this is. much money decided to do it, if it could be effective. But again, it's not happening. It's not okay, effective. let's go to Jerry Kill uh, and P-Gate. Our guy. <laughs> Catherine, you're about I to find him. out what P-Gate is. It's not P, it's capital P, it's P, P-E-E. P gate, mm-hmm. urine gate. Okay, okay. I'll run out what happened, and then I'll cue okay. our producer with the clip. So, at some point this summer, New Mexico State quarterback Diego Pavia urinated on New Mexico's indoor facility on the urinated. Logo. Yes, uh, urine. he did. Yes, he did what <laughs> DK Metcalf and Elijah Moore could only pantomime. He went all the way, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> This happened, and then after New Mexico State beat New Mexico this year, I'm not sure what happened. It feels a little bit like the uh, the Bo Pelini uh, held on to the audio of him ripping the fans, and then after a bad loss, they dropped it. I'm not sure where this photo was, but after they beat New Mexico, this video sur- or this uh, photo surfaced of him peeing on the, the logo, and obviously it caused an uproar in the rivalry. Well, college football, consistently a small world, New Mexico State goes to the New Mexico Bowl this week, uh, and there seemed to be some sort of dust-up or some sort of disagreement over New Mexico State's use of the urine-soaked practice field. Uh, excuse me, urine-stained practice field. It stained but, it? What kind of pee is this guy throwing out there? <laughs> have you seen Diego Pavia play? You're telling me that man doesn't have a powerful stream? I'm not saying he doesn't have a powerful stream. I'm wondering more about the hue of the stream than I am. <laughs> Power of it. <laughs> Either way, you like doesn't rap. stain anything was, that isn't white carpet. It's like he, rap changed, though, or he changed the face of New Mexico football forever. Yeah. Either way, uh, so anyway, there seemed to be some disagreement over the use of the practice facility. But as we understand it, based on some some Colin Deaver was on the was on the scene. Um, New Mexico State did use New Mexico's facility, as did uh, their opponent in the game, uh, Fresno State, this week. So. I'm unsure exactly why Jerry Kill was mad. I guess just that they had to like push on this. And then Jerry Kill took the mic after the game where New Mexico State got their butts kicked and had this to say. Oh, gosh, I'm going to get off my damn mind because I didn't say anything about it. We discipline the young man. He doesn't get to do any interviews and stuff like that. You know, if you want to take a toothbrush and clean toilets all the time, that ain't a lot of fun. And do community service. Well, guess what? I hope the AD here gets the same damn discipline with the people around this state that Diego got because he deserves it. And it don't bother me a damn bit. When he, when he low let us want to practice in the indoor facility, when he don't want us to do this and do that, that's chicken shit. And I don't care. That's my opinion. I get in trouble. I don't give a shit either. Because I can go down, and I can go down to Mexico tomorrow. Drink margaritas and let you all enjoy your life. Because I'll be enjoying mine. But I got class. I've had class my whole life. 
And you can ask the college football profession. I've had class. Never been treated like that. And guess what? When that incident happened, I didn't know about it for two months. And we beat them right here. Then they tell me after the game. Take that to the bank. And he better be disciplined. So I don't think Andy Nunez is going to be disciplined by the state or, or anyone, just for the record. You don't think we can get a uh, senator involved in this? Or? Uh, let's hope. Uh, <laughs> but shout out to Jerry Kill. Listen, I love a good promo. Uh, let's get Jerry Kill uh, in the mix for some WWE action. Uh, I'm unsure of why he was so angry if they did use the facility, but all of this could have been avoided if someone else had used the facility. So, you know. It's all good. You know, Jerry's been feisty over the years. He he may not come across that way, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, PJ Fleck. He, he comes hates, across that way. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you know, he's left voicemails on PJ Fleck's phone, you know, screaming at him. And, uh, you know, so over the years, that's not exactly a surprise that he gets mad over things like this. But, you know, this is, uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty damn serious when the quarterback, goes to the goes to an in-state rival and they're in different leagues um one's got a higher profile than the other at least league wise and pisses all over the practice facility i can't imagine that if rocco beck did that in iowa city that it would go over real well so um you know take your pick on any other rival i mean i guess i could see it happening definitely in michigan that for sure so, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on with Jerry, but uh, I don't, it doesn't sound like he's, <laughs> he's got much to lean on here. I love this. I love this controversy. This is one of my favorite. Con- I mean, other, this is not Connor Stallion's vacuum salesman level of college football comedy, <laughs> but it's up there. And, uh, and Jerry Kill channeling his uh, LeBron James, like, you guys can go back to your life. And I'm going to go to Mexico and drink margaritas. Incredible. Like, listen, you. there are some times that rivalries go too far. Like somebody mentioned Bama-Auburn. Like, obviously, the tree killing. Like, some elements mm. of that are funny, but a lot of it is really not funny at all. This is pretty funny to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I Like, this is, like, hilarious. At the end of the day, like, the pee's going to dry. People are going to move on. You said it stained, and- though. <laughs> I'm sure it did at some level. And, and Catherine Listen, brought it up, but Tom Herman's pee chart, you are a bad man if your pee is brown. It's true. But I think it, there is a level of hilarity that like every time a receiver makes a diving catch on that logo and the rubber pellets spray up and some of them get in your in your helmet, you're thinking about Diego Pavia's pee. So for that, for that level, I thank you that P-Gate existed. I was laughing about this for like an hour last night. Uh, this controversy is awesome and i it makes it's one of the things that i love about college football because it's a regional sport built around people that hate each other and live in close proximity and we should keep these rivalries going that's my promo thank you thank you guys for listening to the latest edition of until saturday 2014 playoff iowa offensive coordinator and p gate much more who said it's the <laughs> off season or winding down to the off season when you have an hour and a half episode cam uh, I, I read this, our, our producer, Cam, I, I read our rundown here. And if you thought we were going to keep this to an hour, that's on you. I, I don't think there was any <laughs> chance we were able to do that. I, I think that we we could have tightened it up a little bit, but I hope we had some fun. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. And please support the show by dropping a five-star review. Also subscribe to the Until Saturday YouTube channel. Interact with the page. Share it. Like it. All the things. Comment. 
Anything that you can do to help the continued growth of the show on both platforms would be greatly appreciated. And if you want to watch it or listen to it in a different way, the links to the podcast and the YouTube channel can be found on the show's description. The Sunday Sound Off series will continue on into the offseason, so be sure to continue calling 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852 to leave your voicemails and and text uh, your thoughts in. We will be using them. And, of course, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you'll get your daily fill of college football news right to your email inbox, and all of the links will be found in the show's description. For Scott Docterman's internet, Scott Docterman, Dave Ubbin, I'm Ari Wasserman. Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Bring back the turnover chain. Just don't move.